you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am super excited today as I have as my guest the fabulous Nicole Eccles. Now Nicole launched Glasshouse Fragrances back in 2006 with as she says a spark of imagination and a belief in the power of fragrance to transform the everyday. And since it's launched um, over a decade ago, Glasshouse Fragrances has grown really quickly to become the leading brand here in Australia. Um, It's the leading brand in David Jones, and it's grown to become a local and international favorite. One of my favorites, uh, the Manhattan Range, which um, I often gift to members of my business, LBD Group. Nicole was born and raised in New York and began her career as a makeup artist in Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, But it was her move to Australia, which we'll be covering off shortly, where she found her true calling. In 2006, she launched the Sapphire Group after spending months researching and developing a business plan around candle candle making, something that she admits she had no knowledge about. But her drive, her commitment, her determination, and her entrepreneurial spirit is really what has seen the company grow from that early idea into what it has now become. I'm absolutely excited to start this conversation. I had a great uh, chat with Nicole a week ago. And uh, this woman, in terms of moving countries, building a business from scratch, and the amount that she gives back to the entrepreneurial community is something that needs to be shared. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Oh, thank you so much, Janine, for having me. It's fantastic to to talk to you. It's great to have you here. Now, before we get into the business stuff, um, can you cast your mind back to being uh, a little girl in the U.S. and remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be in lots of different things, probably like a lot of people do. I mean, you go through these phases as a child. And I don't really think I settled on anything. I wanted to be a teacher at one stage. And I wanted to be, actually, the first thing I wanted to be was a rabbit because my parents told me I could be anything I wanted to be. And I didn't understand what that meant exactly. So I said I wanted to be a rabbit, which reminds me of that movie, The Lobster. Which is mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And, you know, then I realized, well, you can't change uh, species. So then I wanted to be a teacher. Then I wanted to be, I don't know what. And I sort of ended up on this idea that I wanted to be an international business in some way because I was fascinated by travel and other cultures. And I went to, I went to college for marketing and international business. Um, actually, it was business and with a specialty in international business. And um, I still didn't know what I wanted to be. So I just kind of went with the flow. And that's how I ended up being a makeup artist, which is a bizarre thing to, to go from being a you know, business graduate in international business and then become a makeup artist. But it was much more glamorous than the reality of what I had gone to school for, which is why I loved it. Yeah, I, I love that. My daughter, ever since she could talk, that's all she wants to be. She wants to be a makeup artist. 
and um, she's now 13 and she still wants to be a makeup artist. She literally searches, studies online and uh, God, the stuff she comes up with, I'm going, how do you do this? But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? How something that um, can resonate for, for so many years for some people. What do you reckon around about what you learnt um, during those early days? Are you still tapping into when you look at what you're doing now? Is there any links? Is there any thing that you go, yeah, that was always in me. That's exactly what I did when I was, I was younger in those days as a makeup artist. Well, it's funny because there's a few things actually. So definitely... Um, the creative side is a big thing. I think I was quite good at being a makeup artist when I was. And the reason I was, was a couple of reasons. I could, I could do the work and I was good at being an artist in the, in the medium of color cosmetics, if you will. But I also did a lot of diagnosis with the person I was working with. So I got to understand what mattered to people and what was important. I was very connected to what people wanted and how to please the customer. And I would bend over backwards to do that as opposed to focusing on just selling them stuff or loading them up with objects that they may or may not use. Because I worked at Saks and I was the resident for Chanel. So yes, I had to do makeup and there were other people selling that makeup, but I was the one that was influencing that whole process. And so it was really important to me that the people I was working with loved what I did and could also see taking that thing that I was teaching them and applying it at home because then there was this trust that happened, which is how I had such a big following of customers that would come back and back again. And I, it's very true today because you can't sell someone something that they're not going, that they're not going to see value in because it's just one transaction. I don't want one transaction with the customers. I want our customers to love what we do and come back again and again and again. And that's where the value is as a business, but also with that relationship with the customer. So, you know, now that you ask, I don't think I've ever really thought about it, but pleasing the customer. And, and, and the other big thing that I did, which I drew great satisfaction from, because I'm a little bit of a philanthropist in that way, is that I was transforming, I thought, and now that I look back, I go, you kind of were. I was transforming people the way they felt about themselves. They would come in and they were one thing and they would leave and they were another. And that's intensely powerful for me and for them. And it was just this beautiful symbiotic thing that worked for both of us. And I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed I'd still be doing that today if there was any money in it. <laughs> At least back then for a woman, in a retail setting for brand, it was very, very difficult because the men were the stars of um, makeup artistry. And if you wanted a national career and with a brand, whether it be Chanel or another, at that time, you know, 25 years ago, whatever it was, um, it definitely would was an advantage to be a man over a woman. Do you see, do you think, as much as that was so many years ago, do you see that still playing out in some of uh, the work you do now in this, you know, being a man gives more of an advantage. Do you think there's still an ongoing challenge there? Um, I think it's definitely still exists for sure. Even I would say it still exists in makeup artistry, but to a lesser degree, it exists in, it, it, it exists in all those really sort of high end glamour, 
glamour jobs, image enhancing roles, hairdressing. Um, yes, women are having great prosperous careers, whereas back then I don't think they were as much. There's a lot more women doing it, but I still think there is a cachet for men to be to be successful in those roles in terms of the way the consumer views it. Maybe not for the younger customers, but you know, I'm 45 now and and well, I don't care, but I know that I have people around me that think that and it's subtle it's not it's it's in the it's in the conscious it's it's not something that they even are aware of I think but there's certainly roles where men seem to be more um, desired if you will yeah I think we I think we I couldn't agree more I think we've still got a bit quite a way to go actually um, until we manage to move past that now um what do you think for you, Nicole, was a key watershed moment that has um, essentially got you to where you're at now? Well, for me, the obvious thing is moving to Australia. I didn't come here to start a business. I came here for an adventure. I really did. I, you know, living in New York and which I love, 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 love. But I had a child at the time and I still do. So thank God for that. And um, I just found it really, with a small child, I thought there must be a better place to raise a small child where he can run around the grass, where it can feel safer, where I don't have to worry about him getting on the subway, running all around town, getting into riffraff. So I thought, I'm going to look outside of the city to live for a period of time. And I looked all over the U.S. and really, I'm sorry to say, New York's the best, and I just couldn't find anything else. And so then I thought, okay, let's open up the globe. Where can I move? And it was either, it was either, so then you have to, and, and in terms of I needed to maintain my income level, so I had to look at an English-speaking country. And for me, it's so ridiculous, but it sort of narrowed it down to two countries. Can you imagine when you open up the entire globe and, and think to yourself, I can move anywhere, because that's how I thought in those days, and I kind of still do, but I can move anywhere in the world. Where am I going to move? It was either Australia or England. And I thought, well, I think Australia will have better weather, so I'm going to I'm going to try that out. It was just so ridiculous. I just think about the gall. And so I came here, and um, I I had uh, the first I had come from after makeup artistry. I was a sales director in um, New York, so I took a sales director role in Sydney. That's where I moved initially. And it was in that period that I noticed this, what I saw as an enormous gap in the Australian market as it related to fragrance, not only fragrance candles, but personal care. And there were lots of things that I saw um, missing. And it's funny because now I understand why it's a smaller population. There's less competition in terms of different brands trying to enter the market. But back then I thought, wow, isn't this an incredible opportunity for me? I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and start a business. I love these products. I know I'd be very good at it. And what a great idea. Let me just try. Like it was just ridiculous. The whole thing when I think about it and I've really lucked out, but uh, it's this belief that I could do anything and achieve anything if I just tried. I think it's an American thing. In fact, I know it is. And 
it just happened to serve me really well in this in in my transition so that was my waterwork moment because once I moved here it just everything changed in my life so I just thought there's a couple of things that you said there that I, I'd love to explore a bit further um the belief you said the belief that I could do anything and then you referenced uh that it's an American thing um have you so where does that come from are you seeing that here um what is the difference between the U.S. and here, for example, where that comes from? So I think the big difference is Americans, and I'm and now I'm speaking in very general terms here, Janine. So I hope I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but Americans are much more—they're um, not afraid to fail as much. They are happy to try stuff. It's culturally what you do not trying is really bad in and really bad is not the right word but not trying means that you aren't gonna put the work in you're lazy it means you just don't want to do it you're lazy and you're happy with mediocrity that's what that means and so it's it's something that i think a lot of people are hardwired to do start a business try something overachieve um and, and for the sake of material wealth power um notoriety all these vain sort of aspects of american culture for sure and i find generally again very generally speaking because there's some incredibly uh there's some incredible australian people that are also extremely ambitious and wanting to do incredible things. There's tons of them actually, but I'm talking more about this underlying hardwired cultural thing that sort of you're born with. This expectation as an American that you're gonna push yourself and you're gonna overachieve. It's just how it is. And there's other examples in other cultures that are similar, China, Japan, there's lots of them. I think Australia from a cultural point of view is a little more hardwired to be more relaxed about things and not be so worried about overachieving, but actually just being happy and getting along and having a healthy family and doing what you need to do to have a happy and fulfilled life. So for me, it's been a great thing being here because it's balanced me out. Yeah, and I think there's something in what you're saying. I mean, I'm from the UK originally, have been here 17 years, and I there, there's, a, there's a wonderful term that's used and banded about a bit in Australia around the tall poppy syndrome. Um, which being from the UK and coming here, I definitely experienced in those early days. Um, are you aware of that, that concept, tall poppy syndrome? And have you experienced that in those early days of building what you've built? I wasn't aware of it till I moved here. Someone told me about it, but I don't really think I've run into it at all. Um, in terms of, I haven't had any examples where I go, oh, this is tall poppy in action. I can't really go, oh, that's what's happening here. Do you know when you have those bizarre experiences, someone's going to tell you you're going to experience racism or, or sexism and you can have these, oh yeah, that's what that was. I haven't really experienced that per se. I'm sure it's gone on and I just didn't notice. But um, that's also probably part of the which is the which is probably half my reason that I've been maybe managed to be successful. So because I don't even notice when things go wrong. But uh, no, I, I I haven't. But I do know that it exists, and I've heard a lot of people talk about it. And you you joked a few minutes ago about I've lucked out, and as 
we all know, you know, there's, I don't think there's such a thing as luck. I think it all comes down to the hard work and the resilience and the determination. But one of the things I'm curious about is um, what, um, do you have a favourite failure, failure? Do you have a favourite moment over these last few years as you've been building the Sapphire Group and you look back and you go, yeah, that was a true blue failure and I loved it because it did X. I never love failures ever <laughs> okay so I don't love them at all what I try to do after a failure is first of all be aware of it and then analyze it to understand why it was a failure what aspects of it can be modified for the future and just so that I can make sure I've taken on the learning mm. and then the next thing I try to do is turn it into helping other people because it's what I have to do to sort of make it, make it good in some way. So whatever I've learned that was a dramatic failure or failure, I try to teach others not to say, don't do this because I'm not that full of myself that I think that I know everything, but I can certainly share my experience and then someone can maybe take a nugget or two from it and apply it to their own. But um, failures for me, are a great way to learn that's really all they are an opportunity to do something better next time but i do have um you know regrets of failure but again that's how i deal with them i turn them into experiences learning and try to pass them on to make them good that's fabulous now you started uh sapphire group officially in 2006 um obviously we are now in 2018 and i'm imagining the industry has changed quite significantly since um 2006 what are some of the biggest challenges that you as a ceo and founder are facing at the moment as well as the business as a result of changes in the industry so i think we because of the timing and when sapphire group started in 2006 Sapphire Glasshouse Fragrances created the scented candle category in this market. So we didn't have any competition at all for a good three years. Now that's pretty huge because it means you can do a lot of brand building and you can really get significant distribution in that time. If you have a good brand and a good product, you can't just do it if your product isn't good and your price is good and there's various other things that go on. But that three years is massive because it allows you to set, set yourself up in a way. And it's changed dramatically then because I think people think that making candles is easy and it's a matter of just putting fragrance and wax and off you go. And it couldn't be more complicated and difficult. In fact, I probably thought it was easy. In fact, I knew. I said, oh, this is going to be easy. You just put fragrance in. You design the fragrance. You pour it a bit of wax and off you go. And it's so not that. But a lot of players have come into the market since we started. And, and that has definitely impacted business in terms of, um, because there's a lot more choice for customers. But because we have such a strong brand and such a wonderful, loyal following of customers, it really hasn't made a big difference to us. And we're still leading in this market and we work really hard at that so we don't just sit back and go we're leading i'm of the view that 
you have to work really hard to stay in a leadership position. You have to constantly be coming up with new ideas and new fragrances and new products and just being ahead and making sure you're up to date on everything. And that requires focus and it requires work and resource. So we do that and we're pretty lucky. We have a great business. We're still growing. Uh, we have lots of exciting new products in the future. And um, it's funny. I really can't say that anything is, uh, I think retail, the retail landscape's changing. That's interesting watching that happen because it requires a fair bit of future gazing to work out how we're going to do strategize for our future. But it's certainly it's yeah it's it's uh it's that's the challenge i guess not knowing what the future holds and and guessing because you know you want to get everything right and you just don't know and you have to take risks and you have to make assumptions that may or may not come to pass so i think uh yeah you're absolutely right i mean the retail landscape bricks and mortar and online and whatever's coming our way is going to have significant impact and the, the consumer is more in charge now than ever before which which is is good it's you know competition is good thing so nicole what what actually keeps you going um what drives you to continuously you talked about as a leader you have to work hard to maintain that leadership position to have the new ideas to innovate um what keeps you going what keeps you focused and gives you the hunger uh to keep doing what it is that you do well, there's a couple of things aside from my own ambition to have a, a wonderful business and to continue to grow. I really believe that being the best and creating the best products and satisfying our customers, that's what keeps me going because that is a constant job is a, and it is a constant commitment to unending improvement and that is that's that's enough I mean that keeps me going that's it I'm just really focused on that all the time and I love design and I love art and I love the art of fragrance and all the amazing things that you can do and how it makes you feel and I'm really fascinated by that relationship actually the way that fragrance affects you and what it can make you do and not do and I'm sort of leaning into that now more than ever, which is very interesting. So it satisfies me, I suppose, intellectually being able to dive into that side too. But that's what keeps me going. It's very, I'm not, a, I'm a very simple person, Jean. <laughs> You're focused. You're very focused, which, which is great. What, what um, as you know, this, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. As the founder, the, um, the ideas person, the person that's, uh, fundamentally driving the future vision of this company. What are the things that you bring uh, to the organization that you would say are your, your strengths? And on the flip side, what is the stuff that you're not so good at? Well, I don't get lost in the forest. I, whether what what that phrase, um, seeing the forest through the trees or something like that. How's that go? I don't get distracted by details that don't matter in that don't really matter that much in the long run. I'm very focused on the big picture and that's very useful because 
in business, a lot of opportunities come your way. There's from a strategy perspective, there's lots of ways to bend and flex and change all the time. And I don't get distracted. So that's what I think I bring the most is I know where we're going and I'm not going to become distracted by things that don't lead us to where we're going. And on the flip side, um, I suppose, well, I'm not good at everything. No one is. And I'm really quite bad at a lot of things. But the thing that I'm really crap at is uh, understanding the, I mean, I'm a ter- I was terrible in math. I'll just say it, Janine. I was terrible in math. I had all I could do to get through calculus. I needed a tutor. It was a nightmare. So I'm really shit at that. And um, that's why I got good financial people around to help with that side of things. What uh, what other people do you have in your world? You um, so I I one of my passion pieces is is the network and surrounding yourself with a key circle of influence that that fundamentally are your sounding board, your marketing machine, and your intelligence bank to help um, unlock that possibility. And when you think about your um, key circle of influence, has that evolved over time? Or has it stayed quite consistent? Um, It has definitely evolved. I've always been fascinated by people and people who know things that I don't that are intelligent and thoughtful and insightful and wise. And I really enjoy and cherish my time with people like that. And... So that group has changed over time. It's changed because I've changed. And it's changed because what I, you know, well, from a, from a geographical perspective, it's changed, obviously, because I've moved country. But I still have this evolving group of people that I'm, I surround myself with, and I and I have quite a few people that I've always been close to, but the relationship changes over time, and they become very dear friends as opposed to more of um, mentors or learning relationships. And um, I think surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from is absolutely critical because otherwise everything's just theory. You're just reading or you're listening to one-sided informational videos or I think that interaction where you can bounce ideas off of someone or ask them questions or is a, is a vital it's a vital thing in the process of becoming a better person and learning more about yourself and, and what you're trying to, and ultimately where you're trying to go, what you're trying to do. Is there one piece of advice or even a, a chance meeting with somebody in a conversation that that has stayed with you um, over the course of your career? Now, when you ask me that, I go right back to this time in in New York. Um, One of my great friends is the founder of Mario Badesco, Jack Cabasso. And we were talking about, um, this is when I wasn't an entrepreneur and I didn't even have business. And we're talking about a role and I was asking, well, should I take this job or I should stay or should I take that job and what should I do? And he said to me, 
You always go where the money is, Nicole. You always go where the money is. And the reason I say that stayed with me is because I often reflect on that now. And I don't know if he was right. Because you do always go where the money is ultimately, but not just for the money. And you don't do things just for the sake of money. Because there's a cost to doing things if you think if you're thinking that short sighted way, especially when you're trying to build a brand. So I learned a really important lesson from him, which was about yes, you must always consider the financial outcome of a decision, but you also must always consider the long lasting effect of that decision on what you're doing and how that affects the relationship you have with your customer or your products of quality. I love that. It's um, And it's interesting, isn't it, when we're living in a world that is so quick, frantic, you know, 130 character conversations going on, and you look at how that is driving um, even news and decisions and, and brand equity, it's, it's phenomenal the speed with which people are responding. And yet, I'm, I'm a big believer in playing the long game. It's, it's about this high touch and building relationships that, um, that actually are going to be instilled over the long term. And it's, it's almost a little bit old-fashioned, really, when we're living in a world that's so speedy. And yet, a lot of the conversations I'm having with um, younger generation, and even older, actually, is a, is a feeling of loneliness because people are reacting so quickly to stuff. That depth that you talk about that, that resonates so strongly through your organization about the customer and doing what's right for the customer and thinking about the customer, that, that takes effort. And it does, it does. Post. <laughs> There's a man that I met and I, the other thing, this is a question, goes back to your question. The other thing that I remember that I'll never forget because it's so profound on so many levels was um, a friend of mine, Fabrizio Cervente. So he works for Walmart and he used to be head of Vogue Italy. He lives in Italy. And he was here in Australia and I met him and he was talking about what luxury is nowadays. Because it used to be that luxury was something with a big price tag on it and not much else. And he said, luxury is beauty. And you can make money without having beauty, but you cannot create excellence without beauty and so I thought to myself that yeah, that's who I want to be that's who I want that's who I want to be that's what I want to be able to say we stand for I love that and it links so back to what you were talking about earlier about your passion and your love for all things art and design and it's it's the aesthetic link to that and how you how fragrance makes people feel it's you know, you can't buy, you can't just you buy, there's no price tag on that. It's the collective of it that, that creates that excellence. I used to work for Ralph Lauren um, as a brand. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing that excellence is, is a culmination of love and beauty and passion that, that creates that demand. It's, um, I love that. I love that. Yes. yes. Thank you for sharing that. Now, what um, I'm imagining that life is pretty frantic for yourself in terms of your work and your family. How do, how do you make sure that you're match fit? How do you look after yourself? Are there any daily habits or any boundaries that you set in your day to make sure that you're always performing at your best? Well, I've worked out over time that I need lots of time alone and to reflect. 
So I don't fill my, my, when I'm not in the office or I'm not doing something work related, I don't fill it up with social engagements. I used to, but what happens is then I have no time to reflect or think. And I'm not the sort of person that gets into the office at 7 a.m. because I do my best thinking in the morning when I'm getting ready or when I'm on a walk or pottering around. And that is really sacred time that I sort of carve off. And it's really critical. So I've worked out that that's really important for my performance. And I make sure I get a lot of sleep. So I'm not one of those people that can't sleep all night. I, I sleep like a log. And I lay down, I'm, I'm out. And that's also really sacred time. I don't like to do anything less than sort of seven hours if I can help it. I'm just one of those lucky people that can sleep. And I think that my alone time, my sleeping, is what only is what keeps me as match fit as I am now. But of course, like any one, I think to myself all the things I should be doing that I'm not, that would make me even better. But for now, that's what I do. Is there anything that you've dreamed of doing or any big, hairy, audacious thing you're thinking of doing or you'd love to do with the business um, that you haven't done? And if not, why haven't you? So there's lots of things that we're working on that are big and hairy and audacious. And I haven't done it yet because these things take time. You know, it takes a long time to, when you look at overnight successes of brands, overnight success is a decade. It's not, it's not really, unless you're a tech startup, I suppose, um, you know, good old Facebook and those sort of things. I mean, I'm, I'm in that process right now mm. with my, my amazing, I'm really fortunate to have an incredible team here and we're in that process of, fulfilling that big hairy audacious goal and it's my life's work and I'm sure when I finish this I will want to just be a vagabond and travel all over the world and do nothing or enjoy the lovely beaches of Sydney <laughs> exactly I love what you said there again I couldn't agree more overnight success um, actually is a decade and with that in mind Nicole you know, as a successful entrepreneur, I know you um, invest a lot of time helping other entrepreneurs and inspiring people to great things. Um, what's what's some of the key pieces of advice that you would give somebody else that has a dream um, and wants to be create something, wants to be an entrepreneur? What would you tell them? Well, I would tell them first of all to to do it, and I would say that to stay steadfast and to be resilient and to believe in yourself because I think the most important thing to be successful is being resilient and, and being um, positive almost to a fault so that you can stay on course because it's oh, the staying on course over time where you get the results. It's like anything else, like weight loss with the one thing I kept find incredibly difficult. You know, it's that's what business is, and and you just keep on going, and you keep on going, and you have to believe in yourself, and you have to be positive. Mm. Yeah, is that what do you like thinking about? Is that when you, I love you mentioned this alone time, the thinking time? Um, are you always thinking about business, or is there other stuff that you love thinking deeply about? 
I spend most of my time thinking about business and my family. Um, I, when I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm trying to relax my mind. So I do that through, I'm a bit of a film geek and I love cooking and I love just taking it easy because the work that I do requires so much energy and effort and I love it, but I just need to chill out so I can go back to that and do it well. And when you think about someone living a successful life, what, what would you describe that as? I think successful life means not having regrets. And it means whether you do or not doesn't really matter. It's what, how you feel about it. Being at peace with yourself and your choices and making the most of the time that we're here. Spending time with the ones you love. I know this is so cliche, Janine. I sound like a total, you know, idiot, but it's true. That's what I've come to feel anyway. For me, it's, it's true. It's really just spending time with the people that you love and enjoying every moment this wonderful life has to has to bring and and that to me is successful it's it doesn't mean you have a great business or a great anything it just means you feel at peace so if you could if i if i had a crystal crystal ball and i could well, you could ask it a question uh, to tell you the truth about yourself, your life, your future, or anything else. Is there anything that you'd love to know? That question wasn't on the sample. Oh, I know. <laughs> I told you. I, I told you I would. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Okay, all right, all right. Let me think about that. No, it's fine because I, I don't really spend much time on sample questions anyway. So what would, it, what would I want to know? Yeah. Oh. Well, there's a couple of big opportunities that I'm tossing between, and I'm not sure which one to enact first or which one to focus on first because we can't do everything and we can't do everything and we can't be everything and, and to everyone. So I would ask the crystal ball to tell me about that, that from a business perspective. From a personal perspective, oh, God, I don't know. I think I'd probably, oh, I don't know, Janine, what would I ask? I don't really have any burning questions. Oh, I probably do, but I can't think of them right now. I'd probably ask questions around my parents and my, you know, all the sort of things that you do around my parents and my, my son and my husband and my brothers and sisters, just asking about them. Love it. Is, is there anything that scares you? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that scare me. Um, there's a lot of things that scare me. Try not to think about those things. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was actually asked that question on a podcast myself the other week. And um, there seems to be this, this crazy unconscious belief that if you have the self-belief and you have created something, that, that you never get scared. And I actually said, actually, I'm, I am scared of failing, failing. If I'm really honest with myself, I'm scared of failing. And that's what keeps me going. Um, yes. That's why I was asking the question, is there anything that you go, you look, 
think it's like actually yeah there is there is that one well there is i i totally agree with you there's you know to motivation can be moving towards or moving away from motivation and moving away from would be the failure and moving towards would be all, you know, you want to someday own houses all over the world. I don't know. I'm making that up. But failure is a great motivator because it keeps you on course and it keeps you steadfast. And it's, it's very, very useful. And um, absolutely, I'm always, I've always been afraid of failing. And it's, I think it's always been very motivating. Exactly what? Well, a business that's easy, you know, failing a business or not having a successful business. And um, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Janine. Any, any good entrepreneur would have that feeling. So you talked about being a movie, loving your movies to relax. Um, what's your favorite? What was the last movie you went to see? Have you been to see one of the favorites at the moment? <laughs> Okay, well, my favorite movie of all time is The Great Lebowski. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite all-time movie. What have I seen recently? I saw a movie with Toni Collette, her a, a, a horror movie called um, Heredity. Oh, God. <laughs> and that was terrifying. Oh, terrifying. And I still don't really know what it was about. That's what's even more terrifying about it. It was just the most bizarre film I've seen in a long time. Oh, I can't, I cannot watch movies that scare me. I tell you, I used to be a teenager. But yeah, we've, obviously with Halloween, all these uh, movies came out recently and there's billboards everywhere. I'm literally walking past trying to have blinkers on. because. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. So um, before I wrap up, my last question relates to, um, again, to yourself. So we often get asked that question, what do you want to be, um, what do you want to become? Um, I'm really fascinated in what's the impact you're making, Nicole? So what would you love people to say about you, um, having had the chance to meet you? What impact would you like to leave for people that come into your world? I think we talked about failures before and so much of my failures were centered around not having a group of people. So, so when I moved to this country, I really didn't have any friends or people I could ask. So I had spent so much time building up a great network of people where I was from, but I came here and I didn't have anyone and I started the business almost immediately. So I was only here a year before I started the business and it took me a few years after that till I sort of had a good network around me. And when you're starting a business, I think that's the most critical time to have people that you can rely on because you can ask questions and you can sort of problem solve. And so what I try to do now is help as many people as I can with the time that I have. And I want, I want to help people. I want people to say that I help save them from a potential failure. Um, and I don't want them to say that. That's the wrong thing that I just said. What I meant was I want to save other people from potential failures. And I, and I hope that that will be something that they remember about me. Mm, that's fabulous. Nicole, there are so many wonderful insights gold nuggets, words of wisdom. Some of the ones that I've pulled out, you taught a lot about seeing failure as an opportunity to learn. Um, and with that, the fact that overnight success is a decade. 
And I think the more people, obviously, unless you're in some great tech, but what that means is it's talking to the grit and the resilience to stay on course over time. And I talk a lot about the hunger to keep going that relates to that. I also love the conversation that you had around um, considering what the ultimate outcome is of a decision, not just looking at it from a financial perspective, um, but also from the perspective of the long-lasting impact or effect it's having on your, your staff, your customers, your clients, your business. And um, it is having the time to be able to consider uh, that playing field of, of that decision that I think as leaders we all need to invest in. And you talked a lot about the fact that it, it takes effort to maintain or be in a leadership position over a period of time. It's, it's something that's hard to get and it's something that's hard to maintain and it needs that team around you. And I really loved your comment about um, a successful life is not having any regrets or being at peace with the decisions you've made. It's, um, it's been an absolute joy, Nicole. The couple of times that we've had chance to chat one-on-one, I've been inspired. I'm so glad I've been following your journey for many years. I am an absolute customer of yours. I love your products. Um, and it's been an absolute joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Janine. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.